You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Dramatic images out of Texas where rains from Hurricane Harvey are obliterating records. More than a meter of rain has fallen. And this unfolding disaster only growing tonight. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight and that flood catastrophe in southeast Texas is expected to continue for several more days. Frantic rescues are underway. Thousands of residents waiting for help with rising water levels chasing many to their rooftops. Paul Johnson has a look at the overwhelming scope of this historic disaster. Are you looking at a big lake dotted with buildings or America's fourth largest city? You're forgiven if you can't tell. Today, many Texans wouldn't recognize Houston either. The people who have lived here 25, 30, 40 years haven't, haven't seen anything like this. Or this, a massive helicopter-borne rescue operation still underway as floodwaters reached rooftops in many places, something not seen in the U.S. since Hurricane Katrina. Where choppers aren't doing it, boats of all kinds are patrolling streets that have turned into rivers. This rescue last night played out on local television live. Now we can see somebody on the back end of that car. Well, the death toll so far has been low for a disaster of this magnitude. A controversial decision by the mayor of Houston to not order an evacuation meant many thousands have needed rescuing, including these residents of a care home. He made the wrong choice. He should have at least. But you know what? Nobody can predict Mother Nature. This is a landmark event. We have not seen an event like this. Okay, we'll try to get a boat out here. And it could worsen. A massive amount of rain is still forecast for the Houston area as the remnants of Hurricane Harvey linger just close enough to the Gulf of Mexico to suck up more water and energy. As Donald Trump now faces the biggest test of his presidency, he'll travel to Texas possibly twice in the next week to see things firsthand. To the people of Texas and Louisiana, we are 100 percent with you. With thousands of National Guard deployed and most of the region's Coast Guard busy saving lives, the cost and cleanup is a distant priority. Though Harvey may already be America's worst ever flooding disaster. The water here is about, it's, it's going on 10 feet deep. Well, we rode out last year's and it was okay, but this was more than we can imagine. Paul Johnson, Global News. And Global's Jackson Prosco is in Houston, Texas for us tonight. You're on the ground there, uh, Jackson. Tell us about the damage. Well, Sophie, as you can see, it's still raining hard, and this rain shows no sign of letting up. So we don't actually have a full picture of the damage yet. What we do know, though, is that there are entire neighborhoods that are completely submerged. The city's interstates and freeways are well underwater. They're shut down. The city is largely paralyzed. We're seeing hospitals and nursing homes that have had to be evacuated because they're full of water. Even some local TV stations have been knocked off the air because their studios have become flooded. So it's a dire situation. And again, we don't know how much worse it's going to get. But there is a lot more rain in the forecast and it keeps coming down hard. And you're at an evacuation center, just outside an evacuation center, a shelter basically. Thousands of people in those shelters already. That number likely to grow. What will happen with those evacuees over the next days and weeks? 
That's right. So the convention center behind me has been turned into a shelter for approximately 5,000 people. There's actually a lineup around the block to get in, and buses keep coming in, bringing more and more people. Uh, those evacuees are here indefinitely. There's no chance they're going home anytime soon. The Red Cross, which is running this shelter, is talking about recovery not in days or weeks, but months or years. And so there's going to have to be some sort of long-term strategy. Uh, Sophie, the prediction is 30,000 people need to be evacuated, and they're now talking about building shelters in Dallas and San Antonio to hold tens of thousands of them in the short term. And Jackson, a lot of people have been asking today, why wasn't there an evacuation done in the first place before the storm hit? Well, it was the mayor's call. That's the way it works here in Texas. At the end of the day, they felt it was too risky and perhaps impossible to evacuate the six and a half million people from the Houston metro area in time with just 48 hours notice. The last time they tried an evacuation back in 2005 during Hurricane Rita, dozens of people died in traffic, more than died in the storm itself. All right. Thanks for that. Jackson Prosco and our crew in Houston, Texas for us tonight. Jackson, thank you. All right, let's bring in our meteorologist, Christy Gordon, to tell us what's next for that area. Christy? Thanks, so. So Harvey made landfall as a Category 4 hurricane and has brought more than a meter of rain so far. It is now a tropical storm, but the problem is it's moving so slowly. So the areas that are getting drenched already won't see any relief for at least another two days, and they could see another 20 inches or half a meter more of rain by Friday just won't let up. All right. Nope. Thanks for that, Christy. Well, Houston is the oil and gas business hub of the United States. And that means in the next week or so, you should expect to see prices at the pump climb. But in the next few days, we might actually see a drop. Here's why. Vancouver's going to see a three cent decrease. So um, obviously the hurricane issue is not as pressing in the Pacific Northwest. You're actually seeing the eclipse pushing the price back down. So it's over, uh, and so is the speculation around it. That seemed to triumph the day, but uh, Texas still isn't registering on the uh, on the gas scale just yet. It's likely to start to happen by Thursday. Across the U.S., drivers can expect to see anywhere from five to ten cents in the short term, and possibly even higher when the full scope of the damage is finally known. Well, it's the final week of tolls on the Portman and Golden Ears bridges before their elimination takes effect on Friday. And tonight, more questions about funding infrastructure projects, not only in the short term, but into the future as well. Our Ted Trinecki is following that story for us tonight. You're at the Patella Bridge, uh, which will need replacement soon, Ted. Yeah, Sophie, that bridge will be replaced because it has to. It's falling apart. Same story for the Massey Tunnel slash bridge there. Doing nothing is really not an option, so something has to be done there. But with tolls being tossed come this Friday, the question is how to pay for it. And the answer might be we may have to go back to the way things were done in the 60s and 70s. Just four more days before this once again becomes a freeway, albeit one with a lot of heavy trucks on it. When it comes to building transportation infrastructure, it's clear by now that politics trumps policy every time. This policy stuff, it's, it's complex. It's tough. Always issues of fairness. But the politics, that's really straightforward. Cities around the world have moved to mobility pricing because there are simply too many bridges and roads needed to be built or replaced to rely on general revenue from the taxpayer. The most effective way is to make the people who use cars pay their way. Uh, to pay the full cost of using cars rather than having other taxpayers subsidize the use of the car. I know that there's an equity issue and the politics are impossible, 
but that's the best way. And dropping the tolls further alienates residents in the interior who feel they make all the money and the lower mainland spends it. That there are those of us who live in the north and the interior who have views and uh, who are also part of the area that generates the vast majority of revenue. So what to do now? How to pay the $3.6 billion for the Portman or the billion dollars for a replaced Patello? Some think will simply revert back to general revenue, where taxpayers everywhere pay even if they never expect to use the new crossings. Now, with mobility pricing coming in, they're going to be back into that policy discussion. I think it's an important one to have, but I think the politics remain clearer than ever. The NDP benefited so much from this decision of making those tolls disappear. They are probably not going to want to spend the political capital to reintroduce something that is seen more or less like a toll. And Sophie, this mobility pricing is still a long ways off, so in all likelihood we will have to dip into general revenue to pay for these bills. And, uh, of course, that could mean, it probably will mean, uh, higher debt and possibly uh, lower credit ratings. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Ted Trenecki at the Patella Bridge for us tonight. Breaking news, a warning from Vancouver police about another high-risk sex offender. 43-year-old Brendan Billy was released from prison earlier today and will be living in Vancouver. He has served 15 years for break and enter and committing sex attacks on two elderly women near Squamish back in 2001. Billy is deemed a high risk for violence and sexual reoffending. He must follow several conditions, including staying away from seniors' homes, not drinking or doing drugs, and a 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. curfew. Billy has the name Lorna tattooed on his neck. A North Vancouver man found guilty on 28 criminal charges include tire slashing, arson and theft and will not be spending any time in jail. In January of 2015, 35-year-old Shane Mendick broke into the Capilano University Library and started a fire. A month earlier, he slashed the tires of more than 150 vehicles in the same area. Today, he received a conditional sentence of two years less a day for the tire slashing and a suspended sentence with three years probation for the remainder of the charges. Pedestrians and cyclists may soon have another option when crossing the Grandview Cut. BC Hydro is floating the idea of a new bridge. Grace Key has more on the proposed crosswalk. Grace. We're just on Woodland Drive and Grandview on a bridge that is shared by cyclists, motorists and pedestrians. Well, now BC Hydro is proposing a new bridge that would be for cyclists and pedestrians. The Central Valley Greenway is a 25-kilometer route that connects New Westminster, Burnaby and Vancouver. It's a popular stretch for cyclists and walkers. Yeah, it is busy. Sometimes even people park on that bridge. At Woodland Drive, there is a bridge that runs across the cut. It's shared by motorists and pedestrians. But BC Hydro is proposing another bridge just down the block that would be solely for cyclists and walkers. It's part of a larger Metro North transmission project. We realized there was a real opportunity here to provide a benefit to the community, and that's what this bridge project is all about. A new transmission line is going to be installed between Coquitlam and Vancouver. Circuits are reaching capacity, and BC Hydro says in order to avoid outages and service interruptions for thousands of homes and businesses, a new line is needed. It would run under Vancouver City streets and end at the Mount Pleasant substation. The new cable needs to cross the Grandview Cut. The bridge would go over the cable. Basically a 60-meter long bridge that will have uh, three and a half meters for cycling and another two and a half meters uh, for a pedestrian walkway. So we think it could actually bring a real benefit to the community. 
The idea for the bridge came from the city during consultations with BC Hydro. The proposal is still in its early stages, so the cost for BC Hydro is still unclear. For now, they are looking for community feedback. I think it would be nice. It depends on how expensive it is, I guess. There's a lot of great bike lanes already, but I'm sure people who are bike enthusiasts would want that. Now, this proposal is still in its early stages, so BC Hydro is looking for feedback from folks in the area. There is going to be an information session that's going to be tomorrow from 4 to 6.30. It's just going to be on the northeast corner of Woodland Drive and North Grandview Highway. Thank you, Grace. Well, it looks like a class of 2017 photo for these firefighters battling wildfires this summer. This group mainly working on the Elephant Hill Fire. They had a rare moment where they were all together after an evacuation drill west of Savannah. So they took advantage and they grabbed a quick picture. Premier John Horgan touring the areas affected by the wildfires today, making stops in Ashcroft, Cash Creek, Kamloops and Kelowna this afternoon. Catherine Urquhart has more on his visit and the promises of help. That's the only one, isn't it? Well, there's a couple of wooden ones here that just got touched. A damaged burial site. Just some of the devastation revealed to Premier John Horgan. Chief Greg Blaine giving Horgan a first-hand look at losses from the massive Elephant Hill fire. Just here with the Ashcroft Nation, we see the impact, uh, the, the moving impact of, uh, of the burial sites being overrun by fire. A dozen homes lost in this small nation. One concern we had is in the almost eight weeks now, we still haven't seen a penny, so we said that's got to change. I think they understand that, so I think they're working to try and resolve that. Since April, more than 1,100 fires have burned in this province, pushing the cost of fighting them over the $400 million mark. Premier Horgan, who spent the day touring several B.C. fire zones, also heard about the emotional toll. We try to be strong to look after our elders and our kids. And the time lag between registering with the Red Cross and the delivery of dollars. And, and that's been a problem all summer long. But everyone's working as hard as they can to make sure people are, are kept whole with the, the modest amount of support monies that we can bring forward. Assistance for wildfire victims, an ongoing issue, as BC continues to battle 142 wildfires. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Meantime, on the Lower Mainland, a call for help to assist with some of the animals rescued from the fire zones. A stable in Delta desperately needs additional hands to care for more than two dozen horses. Jeff Hastings has more on that part of the story. Frisky after weeks in a Delta paddock, these little guys from Lone Butte are ready for some excitement, even if it's just a visit from a man with a camera. This is jail, and they're not very happy about it. They're resigned to it, but they're not happy. 44 horses, wildfire evacuees from the Caribou. The Gustafson fire that emptied 100-mile house forced them to flee. The Elephant Hill wildfire, now raging to the south, is too close for comfort and keeping them from heading home. When they pulled us out for the Gustafson, I thought, oh, week, we'll be back in, no problem. And then we got the alerts, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and so here we sit. This is Gold Rush. And this is Floyd. They're both from Lone Butte, and they've both been here since early July. They thought they'd be here for a couple of weeks, not a couple of months. They're therapy horses, and instead of this paddock, they're used to running around in 10 acres, and their owner says they would love to go home. So normally on property here with our normal horses that we have here, which is uh, 26, we usually go through about three bales of hay a day. Mm -hmm. um, we've been going through 15. 
Wow. And that's just for the guys out here. So it's a lot of hay. They have huge hearts at Toshka Stables, but not enough hands or enough food. And because they're refusing to charge evacuees struggling to cope with the stress of the situation, they're asking for help. Volunteers definitely to come and help with, you know, looking after the horses, feeding, watering, cleaning paddocks. Um, feed, for sure. Hay is definitely, I mean, we're going through an amazing amount of hay. Hey. No. Uh-oh. Microphones aren't food, as Gold Rush learned. They're hoping to go home by the end of September, while their sense of humor is still intact. Jeff Hastings, Global News. <laughs> I think that's a popular North Vancouver restaurant served its last meal today. The Neighborhood Noodle House on Lonsdale has been serving Chinese, Japanese and Vietnamese cuisine for 20 years. But the owners have decided to shut it down. Not for lack of business, but for lack of labor. And it turns out they're not alone. Why good help is so hard to find in just over a minute. Well, many jokingly refer to it as whole paycheck. But the new owners of the high-end grocery store, Whole Foods, slashed prices today. By how much and the other changes that are coming later on the news hour. And some movie theaters serve wine, but how about making wine in one? From movies to meritage, the winemaker doing something a little bit different in downtown Penticton. That's later. After 20 years, the owners of a popular North Vancouver restaurant are retiring and shutting their doors. And they're not the only ones fighting a labor shortage. Aaron MacArthur has more on what's keeping much-needed cooks out of the kitchen. The walks at the neighborhood noodle house still going full blast. But this is it. After 20 years on Lonsdale, Monday's the last day. The owners are retiring. 100% want to be tired. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. The family-run business has plenty of customers, many who dropped off flowers on Monday. But finding people to work in the restaurant has proven to be a way bigger challenge in recent years. One thing is really difficult to hire the, the people working, and the second is the, the cost is really expensive. If you need a job, come on down. <laughs> The Hans are far from alone. At the North Shore staple, the Tomahawk Barbecue, three chefs have recently quit. The situation is so bad, the owner's been forced to cut back the restaurant's hours. It's the customers that built the business, and they're used to a certain, they expect a certain kind of quality, and that's what I have to keep giving. But I am taking the bite on that, definitely. The association that represents restaurant owners wants the federal government to ease restrictions on temporary foreign workers saying that in a place like North Vancouver, where the cost of living is so prohibitive, it's almost impossible to find young people willing to move into the restaurant industry. Most restaurant jobs filled by young people. But take a look at the last census data. Across the North Shore, the percentage of people under 25 is just above 10%. Owners of restaurants say the government needs to put a bigger emphasis on training skilled labor, like chefs. There's not enough emphasis put on working in a kitchen, be it as a sous chef or a uh, red seal chef, there, there's nothing there. It's, it's treated as a transient job. The neighborhood noodle house will be missed. The owners now with plenty of time to do the things they never had time for. Thank you very much. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A diesel spill partially closed Highway 1 in Burnaby for hours today. The highway was closed westbound at Brunette Avenue, bringing traffic to a crawl for the afternoon.
The source was a dump truck and trailer, and while the exact cause is not known, it's believed that a saddle tank might have been punctured. Crews on the scene say less than 100 litres spilled onto the highway. It was cleaned up, and the highway reopened at around 4 this afternoon. No environmental damage done. North Korea's latest missile launch still to come. Plus, seeing is believing. My mind was blown, and I actually learned new things. How these glasses are giving UBC researchers a new look inside your head. And the mystery of the blob, the story behind this slimy goop in Stanley Park, up next. Ever wondered what's lurking in Lost Lagoon? Meet the blob colony. Up to a dozen chunks of goo recently uncovered during a 24-hour bio-blitz. That's when volunteer nature lovers helped experts compile a list of species living in Stanley Park. Well, the blobs, officially known as bryozoans, were found in the biofiltration pond attached to the lagoon. The Stanley Park Ecology Society says they're not common in B.C. and they may have flown in on a bird's foot. The common name for them is a moss animal. And it is indeed an animal, and it lives in a colony. And uh, they start off as these these little tiny embryos, and they secrete chitin that forms a soft shell around them. And they also secrete a kind of a, a jelly, and that helps them to glom together in colonies. Well, experts say the freshwater bryozoans are one big happy family. Most commonly found in Mississippi, the species is non-native but not invasive here in B.C., well, we know climate change is warming ocean temperatures, and now a UBC professor has identified another problem. Linda Ellsworth explains why some fish are shrinking in size and the big impact that could have on fisheries. Scientists are continually discovering how climate change is affecting the world's oceans, like how fish are fleeing rising water temperatures. And they go to places where the temperature is the same as it was before, and that is a further toward the poles, so toward the North Pole, toward the South Pole and the Southern Hemisphere. But not all fish can escape the heat. That puts stress on their bodies for a number of reasons. A cold-blooded fish, when you increase the temperature, requires more oxygen because uh, its metabolic rate goes up. But the warmer water gets, the less oxygen it contains. Thing is, even if there was plenty of oxygen in the water, they still couldn't absorb as much as they need. If you increase the oxygen needed by a body and you don't increase the surface of the gills that supply that oxygen, you get a problem. It is a problem because developing bigger gills to absorb more oxygen is an evolutionary process that takes a long time. And climate change is happening fast. The solution? We predict that fish will get smaller and smaller. But we don't only predict it, we observed it because there are studies that already show this phenomenon to have occurred. A UBC study predicts fish sizes will shrink between 20 and 30 percent on average, even more so for some species. The ones that are most affected are the ones that are more extreme in the consumption of oxygen. The tuna and uh, the other big fish that are swift swimmers. As a result, the overall biomass of the oceans will also shrink, and that will have negative repercussions for the fishing industry. The overall amount of fish that you can catch is going to be reduced, and we said it was about 30%. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. 
Shopping at Whole Foods is about to become more affordable. Amazon's impact on your grocery bill coming up. And fresh anxiety in Asia with North Korea's latest missile launch when the news hour continues. North Korea firing an unidentified projectile that flew over northern Japan today before landing in the Pacific Ocean. The aggressive test flight rattling an already anxious region. It comes days after North Korea fired three short-range ballistic missiles into the sea and one month after its second test flight of an intercontinental ballistic missile. Justin Trudeau shuffling the deck on his cabinet today. The significant changes sparked by last week's resignation of Public Works Minister Judy Foote. The Prime Minister making former TV host Seamus O'Regan his new Veterans Affairs Minister and unveiling a major reset on his Indigenous Affairs file. Carolyn Bennett's job as Minister of Indigenous and Northern Affairs sliced into two. Her colleague, former Health Minister Jane Philpott, is now the Minister of Indigenous Services. Bennett will work with Philpott as the Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations and Northern Affairs. 25 years ago, a royal commission recommended this split. If you shop at Whole Foods, those healthy aisles may soon be more affordable. Amazon is completing its $13.7 billion takeover of the organic grocer today with immediate price slashing. Jolene Kent reports. On its first day running Whole Foods, Amazon slashing prices by as much as 43% on more than a dozen staples to start. Bananas that once sold for 79 cents a pound are 49 cents a pound today. Organic Fuji apples, once 3.49 a pound, now $1.99. And lean ground beef, 6.99 a pound last week, today 4.99. Amazon is also pushing its own Echo, the voice-activated digital speaker. For its estimated 85 million Prime members nationwide, Whole Foods is planning to offer special savings and a customer rewards program. All shoppers can already buy Whole Foods branded products on Amazon.com. Grocery analysts say the idea is to bring in younger customers who already shop on Amazon. They are not afraid to take a hit on their bottom line for a long period of time so they could grow. And I see this as a move to try and get into the grocery business as quickly and, and fast as they possibly can. This bold move will probably not lead to a grocery price war for now. The goal, bring Whole Foods closer to the competition and shake that infamous nickname, Whole Paycheck. Jolene Kent, NBC News, Los Angeles. Health Matters Now, virtual reality is a technology more commonly associated with gaming, but now it's being used to get inside your head, so to speak. Researchers at UBC are combining VR with the Microsoft HoloLens to explore the brain in what could be a game changer for neuroanatomy instruction. Tanya Beja reports. It's the most complex organ of the human body, often compared to a black box. The brain is a very compact structure. So all of the nuclei and, and things that we're looking at are embedded within fiber tracts and embedded within this whole relatively small area. Now imagine if a pair of goggles could help you see inside. <laughs> Pretty cool. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. That's the University of British Columbia's Dean of Medicine. UBC is hoping students will be equally wowed. They still have this neurophobia, which is actually a, a phrase in the literature to describe this fear about learning about the brain. Uh, and it's a real hindrance. So rotate. 
but not with this. Six of Canada's top students teamed up with Microsoft to develop an app that will make the brain more approachable. Wearing a HoloLens, users can see the organ from the inside out and enlarge or take it apart as they please. You have a textbook to look at images in, right? You, you need to be able to kind of manipulate things, add things, build the puzzle one by one. Okay, I'm just going to label here. Then I think your the depth of understanding becomes a lot more rich. Okay, now, oh wow. I mean, this is amazing. I can actually see all sides of the brain. It's engaging even for a novice, but the hope is that the technology will help train the best and the brightest. There's a really steep learning curve, and we hope that this application really shrinks that learning curve and gets them really interacting with the brain and learning about it more quickly and with less fear. The app will be piloted in two UBC classes this fall. Tanya Beja, Global News. It may be one of the worst storms in history, but it's brought out the best in people. The help flooding into Houston from near and far. But first, the rather unconventional spot for a new winery in Penticton. It was formerly an iconic movie theater, but what's coming soon will be an Okanagan first. That's right after Christie's weather forecast. All right, Christy Gordon joining us now with that weather forecast. It's been a dry one, and we just have a few days left, Christy. That's right. So I had a look at the forecast, and right to the end of August, still no rain in the forecast. So I thought I'd give you an update on the numbers. So in total for July and August, we've had 7 millimeters of rain in comparison to their average numbers. I calculated that. That is less than 10% the amount of rain that we would typically see throughout those two months. So you can understand why it is so dry. The uh, forest fire danger rating still at an extreme level for most of the South Coast. Now, today was hot and humid. Humid X values on the left indicated in red. Downtown Vancouver at 30 with the humid X and over towards Chilliwack and Abbotsford, 37 today. We're having reports of some smoke now making their way in from the east over the mountains as well as in the southeast. And the reason for that is the hot, hu- or the hot air from the interior being pulled out towards the coast. We're seeing that outflow uh, across the region and we have one more hot day on the way. Here's a look at the smoke, though, across the region. We're also seeing smoke from uh, south of the border in fire, fire, uh, forest fires there, spreading up into that southern edge of the province. We're seeing a little bit into the lower mainland, but that's why we had seen the air quality advisory be reduced somewhat across uh, the BC area. We're just seeing local smoke, but now that has increased across these southern regions because of all of that smoke south of the border making its way into our area. So as I mentioned, one more hot, dry day on the way with that ridge of high pressure. And then Wednesday, we'll start to see another front push in across the province. But same as we've seen every time this summer, this front will bring in very little precipitation. It'll bring in a risk of thunderstorms and gusty winds. So the timeline of that is late Wednesday into our Thursday. And for southern regions, no moisture. That chance of showers is really for areas like Prince George and Quinell. And that's about as far south. So back up and looking at your tomorrow, hot and dry once again. You'll see some cloud cover across the north, but check out these numbers across the south. 36 in Kamloops, Merritt 35, and the humid eggs may bump these up by another degree, and that's about it, but across the south coast, those are your numbers, and the humid eggs will be higher by a good three to four degrees. So, this is the range you're expecting tomorrow, 27 to 32, but up another three to four degrees, and then Wednesday we cool off a little bit, which will be nice, I think, for some, but we bump up the numbers once again as we head into the weekend. And as I mentioned, still no rain in the forecast.
Leona and Lloyd are celebrating a huge anniversary, 78 years together. Congratulations to you and Gay and John DeMontre celebrating 70 years. And tonight's weather window is a pretty neat shot from Surrey. This is the Bose and, uh, Bose and I can't remember the, actually the name of the farm, but it's the Bose family farm that have now started up their corn maze. It is open right now, right through until October 9th. And of course, Canada 150 celebration. So, well done. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks, Christy. Well, it's the first downtown winery to be built in the South Okanagan. And the man behind the project, known as the grandfather of the B.C. wine industry, is doing something rather unconventional. Shelby Tom explains. I'd like two tickets. Residents used to flock to the historic Penmar Movie Theater in downtown Penticton before it closed its doors in 2012. This man hopes the crowns will return once again to the iconic site, now transformed into a $7 million, 20,000-square-foot winery. Uh, there were four theaters here originally, and Theater 1 is now our fermentation hall. Theater 2 that we're in is our barrel cellar, and Theater 3 is a combination of production and storage. The owners also want to keep a little piece of Penticton history, so they're planning to build an 80-seat movie theater in this room attached to the winery with a large movie theater screen to be installed on this wall. Well, cheers. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, it's been a long road. The Summerland man is also commemorating his 50th vintage witness to the first grape crush at the new facility. His daughter, also involved in the family business, beams with pride. There's been nobody else in the Canadian wine industry that has worked it as long. My father, I believe, has done more to grow the Canadian wine industry than any one individual. Often described as the grandfather of the B.C. wine industry, McWaters founded B.C.'s first estate winery, Sumac Ridge, in 1980. He was also instrumental in the adoption of the VQA program and helped create the B.C. Wine Institute, which promotes BC wines around the world. Not to mention his accolades. Awarded the Order of BC, an honorary doctorate from Okanagan College, and the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal. At age 72, McWaters isn't showing any signs of slowing down. Eventually I will. I'll stop, but it won't necessarily be by choice. The South Okanagan's first downtown winery is slated to open to the public this fall. Shelby Tom, Global News, Penticton. I was just saying to Christy, I feel like we've done our part to promote the wine yes, industry. Yes, on the other end of it. Yeah. Drinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we financially support them, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're here. Chris is not, but he'll be back later this week. But good to have you back. It's nice mm -hmm. to be back. I felt yeah. like I was gone for a long time. Well, you were long. actually, weren't you? <laughs> just a couple of weeks, but okay. I really, I disconnected. Mm. I turned off the phone. Went off the grid? Yeah. Right. I heard there was a fight or something on the weekend. I know. I know. We'll talk a bit about that. Uh, the Las Vegas casinos were very happy with the outcome. Mm -hmm. We'll tell you why. Also, Travis Lule will be the starting quarterback after three straight Lions losses. You've uh, gotten beat bad a couple times. We look like an average team. Why they're average and what BC can do to change that. Also to come, a flood of help in Houston. All right, Squire's got our sports. All right, I'll start off with football. This is a bye week for the BC Lions. They don't have to play again until September 8th. That's a home game against Montreal. And quite frankly, this break came at the perfect time. They can heal a few injuries, but more than that, they can work on the four inches between their ears because that's where they are hurting the most. The Lions are in danger of falling into the basement of the West, a division they thought they could contend for at the start of the year. 
right now we are an average team. Wally's even said it to us. An average team that's been below average the past three weeks. And that was not what the BC Lions were supposed to be this season. The worst part about it is during our weeks of practice, it doesn't feel like that. Everything seems great, and then when we get to game day, it's just the switch is not being turned. So Wally is making a switch at quarterback. Travis Lule is number one again. Uh, Travis brings uh, just that that little extra leadership to it, just because he's been there and 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 played the game for a long time. So he can he can see things uh, out on the field that that uh, that that maybe John was missing uh, the, these last couple of weeks. But a quarterback switch isn't all BC needs. The Lions know they are a better team than their five and five record, but they play like they think everyone else knows that too, and they'll just roll over for BC. In every single play, someone's doing something a little bit off, and we're not 12 guys on the same page. And, and you know, it takes maybe, hopefully, six weeks to get that done. And right now we're at week 10, and, and we haven't figured it out. For the next while, Wally Buono's job will be more about changing attitudes and changing strategy. He saw how his team was not ready before a 41-8 loss to Saskatchewan, the loss that started this three-game slide. When I walk in here, you guys should be doing what? Coming together. Act like we're not interested. Okay, Rolly, let's go talk to them, buddy, because they don't want to listen. And it looked like nothing had changed in Ottawa on Saturday. But perhaps the fourth quarter, where BC outscored the Red Blacks 21-0, was the sign that the Lions players realized that if they put the work in, concentrate, they can be above average. Well, that that was big. That was big to see in this in this football team and in a in a couple of games where we may not have fought as as hard as that. This was this was really nice to see. And uh, moving forward, the guys should have confidence in in how we came out in that fourth quarter and, and really attacked them. Well, you think Hamilton's 0-8 record is bad? Try this. Today they hired former Baylor University head coach Art Bryles as their new assistant coach. But after pressure from the CFL head office, pressure from fans and sponsors, they rescinded the hiring. Bryles was fired by Baylor for mishandling multiple allegations of sexual assault against his players. Many down in Texas believe he knew about these sexual assaults and looked the other way to protect his players. The Cats first said they believe Bryles should be given a second chance, but then decided against it after the CFL head office talked them out of it. All right, Denis Shapovalov is in the U.S. Open. He made it through a qualifier, and he played well in his first ever event, taking on uh, Daniel Medvedev. There's an ace there. Her Shapovalov was so good at the Rogers Cup, but they didn't give him a wild card, even though he's a top 70 player, ranked 69th coming into this. That's nice, coming to the net. Won the first set, 7-5. Second set. That's it. Come forward. Stay there. Nice. Won the second set. 6-1. What's this shot down the line by Shapovalov here? Right there. That's good. And finishes it off with an ace, wins it in straight sets. His next match will not be easy. Veteran Joe Willie Songa will be up in the second round for Shapovalov. Venus Williams, 37 years old. A couple of Grand Slam finals this year, but no Grand Slam wins. Taking on 
Victoria Kuzmova of Slovakia. Venus won the first set 6-3, but Kuzmova won the second set 6-3. And Venus had a seat, got back up and thought, you know what, kid? No, I'm not leaving in the first round at the U.S. Open. I've won this before, and I'm going on to round number two. Philadelphia Flyers are going to retire Eric Lindros' number 88, the sixth flyer to get the honor. That'll happen January 18, 2018. He was a flyer for eight years plus, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Got to the finals of Philadelphia once, but never won the cup, but was a big part of the Legion of Doom. Still one of the best names for a line ever in hockey. The moment the referee stepped in, and put an end to the Mayweather beating on a completely fatigued Conor McGregor. Every bookmaker in Las Vegas, around and around the world, cheered because a Mayweather win meant they made money. All of them. Conor McGregor was such an underdog, if he had somehow won the fight, the bookies would have lost millions. I think it's about 85% of the bets in Vegas were made on McGregor to pull the upset. Now, not because that many people thought he would win, but because, hey, the upset pays so well. As it turned out, Mayweather winning gave casinos six to seven-figure profits. Caesars Palace alone made $2 million. There were huge bets made on Mayweather. Apparently six different people bet $1 million each on him. But the odds were so low, the profit for such a bet topped out at $180,000. So not a lot of return for such a big gamble. There you go. I didn't win that. I didn't win the Powerball either. So I came back to work. But you won our hearts years ago. Isn't that more important? Thank you so much, Squire. You're welcome. Mother Nature's Worst brings out the best in Texas. That's up next. Coming up on ET Canada, what you saw and what you missed at the MTV VMAs last night. Plus, Fifth Harmony on Life as a Foursome. It's part two of our exclusive interview. And why Jared Leto still gets a little nervous about his fans. All of that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Cheryl. Well, while the heart of Texas may be underwater, the state hasn't lost its soul. The historic disaster also prompting a flood of help. Both neighbors and strangers wading into the catastrophe, catastrophe, easy for me to say, zone, and bringing out the best in humanity. Here's Joe Fryer. With floodwaters rising to new records, volunteers are rising to the challenge. From boats to tractors, all types of machines are descending upon this disaster, captained by everyday folks who simply want to help. Today, everyone's family. These guys are with the Cajun Navy, a group from Louisiana that drove through the night. When Louisiana gets in a bond, when we have problems, uh, Texas responds, and we're not going to leave our brothers behind. Help is pouring in from across the country. Helicopters from Arizona, Red Cross teams from Philadelphia, police and firefighters from New York. Yet sometimes the best help comes from home. Beneath an interstate bridge, the Pleasant family anxiously waits for mom, Michelle, who's been stranded by the storm for two days. What's it been like for her? She's been crying and worrying how she's going to get to her five children. But now she's in sight. Michelle was picked up by Good Samaritans with a boat. Strangers now delivering her to a relieved family. I'm just here to get up to my babies. She's grateful to the young Texans who saved her. Thank you! Thank you! We're no heroes or anything. We're just here to help people, you know? Yeah, God is good, yeah. God is amazing. A flood of emotions and gratitude. Thank you. 
Joe Fryer, NBC News, Dickinson, Texas. Yikes, and they are not out of the woods yet. No. But good to see that, you know, like we saw with the fires, too, that always brings out the best in people. That's right. Tough times, though. Uh, they don't want the water. We need the water, right? Yeah, no yeah. So still no rain in the forecast, everyone. That includes the interior.